Good morning. Um, my name is Ros Maskell. I'm a refugee from Harbour Church. But grateful to be worshipping God with you today and to read our second Bible reading uh, from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, continuing the sermon series through 2 Peter. So 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It would be great to keep your Bible open, uh, but I will put up some key verses up on the screen behind me. Let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, I pray that I might speak faithfully to it. I pray that we might hear what you want us to hear and be encouraged to stand with conviction and confidence, trusting in your Son. Amen. They say no news is good news, but I don't think that's true if you're waiting for someone at a cafe, if you're waiting for a friend. And I think it's quintuply not true if you're hoping that friend might become a special exclusive friend. So you turn up to the cafe and the first decision you've got to make is, you know, do you hover outside or do you commit and take a seat? Okay, both of them are pretty awkward, but let's say you commit and you take a seat and then you wait. And you wait, and you wait, and now you've passed that waiting stage where you're in the awkward phase of waiting, and then you're not sure whether you text them or not, because you, know, you don't want to seem pushy or needy, uh, but finally you do text them, and then they don't reply. And so then you, your sort of thinking shifts from this was their fault to perhaps this is my fault. You know, perhaps when we said next Tuesday, you know, you were thinking next Tuesday, but maybe they were thinking the next Tuesday after this Tuesday. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you start to doubt whether you've got anything right at all. All those aspirations about them being a special friend uh, seem to be going out the window very quickly. 
you know, we feel that pressure of expectation. We feel, you know, that eroding of our confidence when it doesn't align with our expectation. And that's just something as superficial as waiting for a friend at a cafe. Yeah, for these Christians uh, who Peter is writing to, they're starting to have their confidence eroded as they wait for Christ's return. And then they're feeling the pressure of those scoffers around them. And so Peter writes to reassure them. And that's been the theme all the way through this letter. And in some respects, these opening words in chapter 3 almost recap some of those themes. So verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as a reminder to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So this letter reinforces what's been said earlier in the letter, but it also reinforces what has been said in Peter's previous letter. Now that previous letter may have been what we know as 1 Peter, uh, but perhaps not. Uh, we actually don't know. Perhaps there was another letter and that letter has simply been lost. But the message is... Nothing has fundamentally changed. Your commitment to Christ is well-founded, so stay the course. And to help them stay the course, he wants to encourage them to wholesome thinking. You know, the word wholesome for us, I think, has a more of a moral association. But the word, the original word, carries this idea of being pure and true understanding. Uh, this is a clear understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do and how we are called to respond. So it is moral, but it's also theological. The difficulty is, even when we know something to be true, our heart can be the weak link and our confidence and conviction can often get knocked around over time. And often it's a combination of influences. So we have our natural internal inclination that tends to gravitate back to our old, former, sinful self. And then we're dealing with our own temptations. But then on top of all of that, there are external pressures as we feel the pressure of people around us and what they think about our faith and what they think about our commitment to Christ. And so again, Peter is encouraging these Christians to listen to the right people. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your Apostles. So the Prophets and the Apostles have sort of been a recurring theme through this letter. And it all comes back to who can you trust. And so Peter is saying you can trust these people. So very briefly, going back to chapter 1, uh, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And then a few verses later, a few words later, the prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're told we can trust the prophets of the Old Testament because they were inspired by God, they were carried along by God's Spirit. But how can we be confident that that is actually true? I think there's at least a couple of things that help. Uh, firstly, Jesus trusted the prophets. So that's a good start. So for example, Luke 24, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So God the Father has endorsed Jesus as his son. 
And if Jesus really did die on the cross for our sin and then rise again from the dead, then we can trust that he knows what he is talking about when he talks about the prophets. Uh, secondly, the prophets interpreted the times they were living in and they spoke about why things were happening to Israel the way they were. But they also spoke about the future, what would happen in the future. And over and over again in the New Testament, we see how the words of the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus coming again. So to do a little sort of tasting plate of the book of Matthew, uh, here's a quick rundown. So Matthew 2. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And that's a reference to the book of Hosea. Matthew 13, and then is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, Matthew 27. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. So Peter wants us to be confident. We need to listen to the prophets because they're going to help us with wholesome thinking. And we need to listen to the apostles because they were witnesses to the life of Jesus. They were there to hear Jesus teach. They were there at the cross. They were there in the events after the resurrection and then the ascension. And so they're in a position to know what happened, but also to know very clearly what Jesus taught. And so now they're passing on that teaching. And that teaching comes in this passage in the form of a command. Now, a command is not an invitation to consider. It's not, please, you know, try this if you feel like it. It is, you must do this. If you do, good things will happen. If you don't, there will be consequences. Now, I think for us, you know, we, we like our independence, so we're not always comfortable with the idea of being commanded to do anything. Uh, we might even question the one who's doing the commanding and the authority of that person. But if God is God, and God is our creator, then he sets the rules for how we should relate with him. And so it's a command that recognises that Jesus is our saviour and Lord. He's the one who died on the cross for our sin. He's the one who rose again and defeated death. It's a command that demands that we recognise that lordship and put our faith in him. And true faith will express itself in a desire for godliness and a desire to live the way God has called us to live and to reject our natural sinful desires. And so as we fill our mind with wholesome thinking, that helps us to stand with conviction. Uh, and that's going to be critical because that conviction is being challenged as they wait for Jesus to return. You know, we might struggle with our own internal doubts, but there are plenty of people who want to sow seeds of doubt or fuel the, the flame of our own doubt. Uh, and that's nothing new. Uh, so verse 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. You know, last week, uh, as we read, the challenge came specifically from within the Christian community. So these are people who are claiming to be Christians, but deny the Lordship of Christ. But in this particular part of, of the letter, it's not quite so clear where these scoffers are coming from. But I think we relate, as within our community, most closely with the scoffers that come from outside of our church community, but in our broader culture. 
It's a bit like how Noah and Lot felt in our passage last week, as they felt the oppressiveness of the secular culture around them. And there's this relationship between their ridicule and their desire for sin. So if there is no God, then there is no one to hold us accountable, and there's no need to worry about sin. You know, we might worry about how our behaviour impacts our well-being, but there's no sense of big picture consequence. About 10 years ago, uh, there was a big push uh, from a group who came to be known as the New Atheists. And it was a very deliberate, coordinated attack on faith generally, but perhaps Christians most specifically. And one of the more famous advocates for that movement was a guy by the name of uh, Christopher Dawkins, uh, who's still alive and would still be advocating the same position. And the bottom line for these new atheists was this reassurance. There is probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy life. And we see that kind of rationale here, don't we? Mind you, the word probably, not the most convincing. Uh, but at least, to be, to be, I suppose to be fair, there's some honesty in that, in that type of approach from them. But verse 4, we see the same sorts of thinking. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So in their thinking, Jesus isn't coming again. There is no day where we will be held accountable. And if we're not clear about where we stand, then that sort of thinking starts to eat away at our own confidence. And they do have a point in one sense. You know, bad things are happening. God doesn't seem to be doing anything sort of dramatic and miraculous to stop those bad things happening. You know, there is no sort of divine intervention in this whole COVID crisis. At least nothing that's, you know, outrageously obvious. Uh, global warming is still happening. We still have car accidents and people are still suffering with cancer. And then at the same time, that's the negative, at the same time, there seem to be people who are living you know, the most sinful life you could ever possibly imagine, and they're loving it, and there is no consequence. So if God isn't protecting, and there isn't any punishing, then we can start to wonder to ourselves, then why am I bothering? Now why am I persevering? Why am I struggling with sin? when everyone else just seems to get to do what they want. And that sort of thinking then starts to nibble away around the edges of, our, of sin. You know, we start to think, well, if things aren't that bad, maybe I should just try that a little bit. And so the values of our culture become just that much more attractive. And then, of course, before you know it, you're beginning to get entangled in that culture. And then after a while, we don't see it as an entanglement so much as a warm embrace. You know, it deals with our you know, struggles with guilt and sin. It just says everything's wonderful and everything's okay. And then I think the final step is when we become advocates for our culture. And at that point, uh, we feel the words of the proverb from last week. A dog returning to its vomit. You know, the dog is not complaining. Uh, the dog is loving it. This is self-chosen. Uh, that's the picture we have here. You know, ignoring God might feel comforting in the moment when we want to sin, uh, but in the end, inevitably, uh, there are consequences. Inevitably, it comes back to bite us. If not in the present, then certainly when we stand before God in the future. And so we need to hear verse 5. 
For they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. You know, they chose to forget or choose to forget that God created everything. But more significantly in this passage, they choose to forget that God has also demonstrated his willingness to judge. I think Peter chooses to use uh, Noah and the flood as an example because it was universal. It was across all of creation. By his word, God created. By his word, God has judged. And by his word, he will judge in the future. So verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We see a similar idea in verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now that is an absolutely terrifying image. Uh, it's actually an image that's not unique to Peter. Uh, the Old Testament prophets often talked about a day of judgment or the day of the Lord. And sometimes it included that fire imagery. You know, Peter isn't just making this up on the spot. This is what God has been saying all the way through. And so, for example, Malachi 4. Uh, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. So it's not new, and it's not as if we haven't been warned. You know, love is a far better motivator than fear. But if we just talk about the love of God, and if we just talk about grace, and we don't talk about justice, and we don't talk about judgment, then we potentially offer people peace, peace, where there is no peace. You know, this passage reminds us that our sin is serious. And not just our behaviour, but our fundamental attitude to God. Uh, that we have rejected him, that we refuse to acknowledge his lordship and his authority. But for these scoffers, if God was going to do something, then he would have done it by now. And that would have been a really powerful argument for those early Christians, because for many of them, they were expecting Jesus to return in their lifetime. Uh, and even for us, we kind of go, surely, 2,000 years, that's a very long time. Surely after 2,000 years, if Jesus hasn't come back now, perhaps he is never coming back at all. And so Peter writes to remind them. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to keep his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So these scoffers perceive God's patience as God's absence. And so Paul, Paul, sorry, Peter reminds them uh, that God doesn't have the same limitations when it comes to time that we have. In fact, what we perceive as slowness or absence is actually patience. And while there is still life, there is still time and there is still hope. And if you've been a Christian uh, more recently, uh, you came to Christ, then you feel perhaps that patience more acutely. Because there was a time quite recently where you know 
uh, that you would have been in real trouble uh, if Jesus had called you home or come again. Uh, but often we presume on that patience. Now we feel that God is something that needs to be considered at some point, but surely we don't need to do it right now. You know, right now I just want to have some fun. I'm too busy with my career. I'm too busy with my family. Uh, we know that life can be fickle. Uh, we know that bad things can happen at you know, any moment. But we just don't think they're going to happen to us. So we don't feel there's any sort of sense of urgency in our situation. And for most of us, we certainly don't think we'll be facing the day of the Lord anytime soon. And so we need to keep the words of verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You know, to be honest, I presume that I will die before the day of the Lord comes. I've got no idea whether that is true or not. For others, uh, they're looking at what's happening around the world right now. They're reading Revelation, they're reading the rest of Scripture, and they are convinced that history is coming to the end of its days, that the day of the Lord is imminent. And they may well be right. We simply do not know. Uh, if Jesus comes like a thief, then he doesn't send you know, a text message uh, to say, I'll see you soon. Your package is arriving between 9 and 12. <laughs> Click yes if you'll be home. <laughs> That's not how it works. If our plan is to work out a plan when the time comes, well, that may be too little too late. I don't know about you, I've had a few near-death experiences in my life. It comes partly with riding a motorbike. Um, so there's been a few riding motorbike ones. Uh, there, was, there was one particular um, drowning one in, in the surf. And, uh, and I had one where I, I had a burst artery nosebleed. Uh, but out of all of my sort of near-death experiences, only one, the nosebleed one, uh, was where I had actual time to contemplate anything significant. Most of life, you don't get that type of forewarning. You know, we often think that a time will come when we can stop and reflect, but that's not always life. So rather than spending our time trying to predict uh, when it will happen, or perhaps trying to time our run so we can just slip through the door as it closes, <laughs> a much simpler, wiser approach would be to live a prepared life now. Uh, that gives us peace in the present, and that gives us confidence for the future. You know, in the context of our passage, the temptation is to be swayed by the scoffers and to simply give up. Jesus isn't coming again. There isn't any day of the Lord. There will be no day where I'm held to account. So I may as well just get on living life my way. Now, if that's the way that we are thinking, if that's the way we are feeling, then hearing what Peter has to say here is helpful. You know, don't misread God's patience or absence. Don't be swayed by the scoffers because there is too much at stake. And in the end, our patience and commitment will be vindicated. And so right now, the message is, stay the course. So let me pray that we might do that. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we know that you work all things according to your will and in your timing. And so, Lord, at times we can struggle with that and times we can wonder what you are doing. But, Lord, we pray that we might stay the course. We might be confident of our salvation through your Son and we might continue to live faithful lives. Amen.